the biggest stories in the NBA from the local experts. It's the Monday edition of Locked on NBA. I'm David Locke, host of Locked on NBA. This is the Locked on Podcast Network. We're going to go to Boston for the win streak on the Celtics, the struggles in Cleveland with Chris Manning, and to Denver to talk to Adam, Adam Matas about last year's number one offense not clicking in yet. Those are our biggest stories in the NBA, and we're getting the local take on all of them. Today's show is brought to you by SeatGeek. You can use the promo code Code locked and get $20 off, as well as by Blue Apron, the number one fresh ingredient recipe delivery service in the country. And with the promo code LOCK, no E, NBA, L-O-C-K, NBA, you get $30 off your first order with free shipping. Let's get the biggest stories in the NBA from the local experts. You are locked on the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Biggest NBA stories, local experts will start at the top of the Eastern Conference with the Boston Celtics, who many of us, including myself, after the Gordon Hayward injury, saw that team and thought it wasn't very good. And somehow, they're on the top of the Eastern Conference. John Corrales hosts Locked on Celtics along with Jay King and Sam Packard. They do fabulous work. Let's get the insight from the expert. John, how are they doing this? Uh, who knows? No, I'm like it. They, they have somehow came up with uh, a pretty damn good defense. And that's where it all starts. They are rebounding better than anybody would have expected. And they are defending better than anybody would have expected. They are the league's best defense. And I think in part because they have added length around the perimeter that allows them to switch everything. Jalen Brown, even on nights where he's not playing well offensively, he is switching everything and being able to pick everybody up from a point guard to a center and things like that. Tatum doing much better defensively than we would have thought. Uh, Kyrie Irving putting in effort, which is a lot for Kyrie Irving. Uh, Al Horford being a defensive monster. Aaron Baines rebounding and defending the rim. All of these things, they're getting contributions across the board. And the length and athleticism allows them to switch all over the place. They are able to keep rebounds alive, where last year they were giving up offensive rebounds. Their their point differential defensively is 11 points better this year than last. And you can point directly to the defensive rebounding, and the length and athleticism also keeps them from fouling. Last year they gave up a lot more free throws than they did than they are this year. So they're they're just able to get in front of people when they drive. They're able to get stops without fouling. They're able to close out defensive possessions while rebounding. And that, more than anything, because their offense is struggling a tiny bit, that, more than anything, the defense is fueling this run. To their credit, they're the sixth best team in the NBA, the Celtics are, at not allowing three-point shots. But teams are shooting 30% on threes above the break. That seems to me to be pretty unsustainable. Do you think there's something they're Would you give them credit there, or have they been fortunate there? Probably a little bit of both. Uh, Brad Stevens has said that is a point of emphasis. And they will have breakdowns from time to time. But again, the length, that is the big difference. Now, as much as they miss Avery Bradley's individual ball-hawking defense, he was 6'2", and Jalen Brown is 6'7", or Tatum is 6'7". And those guys who switch out, if you're going to take a three, you're shooting over the top of a 6'7 guy who is a freakish athlete versus Avery Bradley, 
for, and again, for all of the great stuff that you can do when you're dribbling, when somebody is shooting over the top of you, that five inches makes a huge, huge difference. So there is a little bit of that, that, that is coming into play. These guys aren't as good individually. If you say play one-on-one, Bradley would be a much better defender. But when you're talking about closing out on the perimeter, these guys are fast. They can jump. They can get their hands up. It does affect those shots, and they're forcing teams to, to do something else. So some of it is just they, they have played some pretty not great teams. Uh, you know, you play the Knicks and you play Philly, you know, you, you play the, and you play – the Spurs on a back-to-back without three of their best players, you're going to have some of these numbers, and I'm sure there will be a little bit of regression to the mean. But the way this team is constructed, and to Danny Ainge's credit, that positionless basketball with a bunch of six, seven, six, eight dudes that can jump and, and get to positions on the floor, that's paying off. Is Brad Stevens just a wizard? Oh, yeah. Well, we've known that for a while. I mean, he, the, the thing about Brad Stevens is it's – it's not complicated. He's not doing anything that's overly complicated. All he is asking people to do is do what they do best. And then he and his staff take what people do best and put people in the right positions to do those things that benefit the team. Now, he does get people to give certain amounts of effort. And throughout the years, he's gotten guys to just play kind of what seemingly is above their heads. But he is – the best way I could put it is he, he relates to people. He can just talk to people on a human level. He doesn't see these guys as just, you know, meat that goes out there and, and is supposed to perform on command. He sees these guys as people, as, as human beings that have certain skills. And when a guy who may not have had his skills utilized correctly or is continually, continuously being asked, to do things that he's not comfortable with, to come in to Brad Stevens and have him say, look, you got to prepare yourself like a, like a professional. This is how you carry yourself. We want you to sleep. We want you to eat well. We want you to train well. We want you to just do what you do. Whatever it is that you do best, do it, and we'll figure out the rest. That's empowering to guys, and they, they kind of feel more comfortable. And you know how it is. When, when guys are comfortable on the court, they perform. And then they start going above and beyond. So – it's not that he's doing anything flashy on the whiteboard. It's not that he's come up with some significantly, you know, Tex winter triangle offense innovation. He's just relating to guys and he's getting guys to do what they do best. And, and he's putting it together the right way. It's interesting. I think the Warriors have an element of that, that they haven't gotten enough credit for. If you kind of look back over the years at some of the guys on their roster who Andre Gudala and others who have been kind of, at their previous spot, people had found something that wasn't enough about them, uh, and the Warriors embraced what was good about them. Now, it's nice when you have good players around them, but I, I think there's something to it. All right, when you win eight in a row, you become the national story. You are on the ground as the local experts here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. It's what we do differently. What, in your mind, maybe you've already touched on it, is going on lo- for that by having your feet on the ground, you understand is taking place more so than the 30,000-foot view that everyone's portraying outside the picture? Well, I mean, I think one thing that's happening with these guys is they're, they're just kind of all, for, I hate to use the cliche, but they, they're, they're buying in. And you, you hear guys talk about trusting the system. I guess that's a variation on Philly's trusting the process. But they are all kind of 
doing what they're supposed to do. And and I may have said this before on a show, but it's a very Belichickian, do your job. And they, they are buying into the same thing where everybody knows that they have a task to perform and they're going out and they're doing it. And very infrequently are they trying to go off on their own and do different things. They're all kind of trusting each other. And when they do that, they all make plays. And one thing specifically that has materialized beyond that, before, that, that people may not notice, uh, Al Horford and Kyrie Irving have developed this amazing chemistry. And I think there's an element of Kyrie making Al better and Al making Kyrie better. They kind of like formed this symbiotic kind of monster where we saw at the end of the Oklahoma City game, those two guys combined to close out the Thunder. They combined to close out teams. Uh, they did it. They've been doing it all season. So uh, that relationship there is huge because now the Celtics have two guys that can close teams out. Uh, Al Horford has made seven straight three-pointers. He hasn't missed from three in the last two games. So uh, the the – I guess, I guess the overall theme in what I was just saying is the chemistry has come together a lot better than, than it has in the past. And weirdly, not that anybody is, you know, Gordon Hayward got hurt. And no one, no one obviously wants Gordon Hayward to be hurt. But weirdly, I think that galvanized the team because all of the pressure of having Kyrie and Hayward and, and teams and guys like Jeff Van Gundy saying, hey, this, this is probably the number one seed in the East. All of that went away, and the expectations went away, and the pressure went away, and all of a sudden they became that ragtag, scrappy bunch of guys, and that kind of brought them together, and they went from pressure to be one of the best teams in the NBA to no one believes us anymore, so let's go out and just do our thing. And I think in a weird way that, that did bring these guys together, and they are. They're trusting each other. They're playing generally pretty well. You don't have a top-ranked defense without trusting each other. Uh, and the, the chemistry that Kyrie and Al have developed. And, and beyond that, on the defensive end, that Al Horford feels more comfortable quarterbacking the defense from the baseline. And all of that stuff comes together to, to give you what you see before you right now. John Corrales, he's on Locked on Celtics with Jay King, Sam Packard. They do fabulous work. They give you the local angle on the biggest stories. That win streak of the Boston Celtics is the biggest story of the NBA. John, thank you very much. You got it. And before we head to Cleveland to talk to Chris Manning of Locked On Cavaliers, I want to talk to you about the number one fresh ingredient recipe delivery service in the country. It's Blue Apron. Their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. We are a Blue Apron home. It's been great. Partnered with 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranches, Blue Apron guarantees you that your ingredients are going to be fresh each and every time. Great variety of recipes every single week. You can choose or let the Blue Apron culinary team surprise you. Flexible, customize your recipes each week. Blue Apron has several delivery options depending what your schedule needs. And easy. Each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card, pre-portioned ingredients, and they can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. My wife often does it with our kids, so it's been a fun family event as well and gotten them into cooking. And most of all, it's a good meal every single night with the guaranteed freshness guarantee promising that every ingredient in your delivery arrives ready to cook or they'll make it right. So check it out. 
$30 off your first order with free shipping. Go to blueapron.com slash LockNBA. That's L-O-C-K-N-B-A, L-O-C-K-N-B-A. You'll love how good it feels to create incredible home cooking meal. Blueapron.com slash LockNBA. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. From the good of the Boston Celtics to the, ah, don't worry about it. Oh, my gosh, worry about it. Cleveland Cavaliers. Chris Manning is on the ground with the Cavaliers, the local experts on the biggest stories. Chris Manning joins us. And, Chris, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm concerned. I think there's something wrong. What's your take on where the Cleveland Cavaliers are? A week ago, I, I think I would have pushed back on them a little bit, but I, I look at this team and I am a little bit concerned. Go just watching them play the Hawks, it, it feels like this team doesn't have an identity. I think even when they're fully healthy, there's going to have to be some cuts in the right places on who's playing and who's playing with who and all these different things to actually form an identity. And I don't know what that identity is because at least last year when this team was playing with a lack of effort sometimes in their normal balls in the season you saw a team that had the ability to just go score because they had Kyrie and LeBron and it's not the same this year and, and they've had all these lineup issues they they've have injuries more so than they've had and they seem it's a little less joyful than we've maybe seen and Derek Rose has been awful and all these different things but I, I, th- I don't think you're wrong in saying that it, there's a reason to be concerned, and they might still get to the finals, but it just, just feels like a team that, that just feels older and, and feels just kind of out of sync. All right, let's try to dig in and try to figure out why. They're 4-6. and six, They've lost terrible games. Everyone knows the story. Uh, is Sometimes I look at it as simple as they got rid of a good player and they added in Dwayne Wade and Derrick Rose two big names, but I'd argue two bad players. Like neither of them are very good anymore. Is that? Is that? I would. Yeah, I would say I think Wade can fit, but I think the problem is that you tried to fill Kyrie's role, and Kyrie, who has been just excellent with Boston, I think you tried to fill his role with guys who can't do what he does. So you have Derrick Rose, who a, I mean, he's just passed his prime at this point, and has just been awful in a, in a two-point game against the Hawks. He had a plus-minus of negative twenty-seven. He was awful. Um, he doesn't look to pass the shooters. And with Wade, you can sim- I think you can maximize him in a way that you can with Rose, or you can pair him with Love and get some scoring and do some of that. But I think when you've tried to replace Kyrie with guys who can't do what he does, and you don't have Isaiah Thomas, and you're not necessarily using Kevin Love in the way that could kind of eat up some of what Kyrie did, I, th- I think you're just kind of left without an identity. And I think when you watch this team play, they just, they just don't really have an identity. When they've had success, it's been when they've stuck to one thing and just ran with it against the Hawks. It was some two-man action with LeBron and either Corver or Wade, or just Wade being really good for that game, or and against the, and against the Wizards when they won, it was LeBron being LeBron. And when they haven't had that, they just kind of look rudderless. The terrifying thing is LeBron is having one of the greatest starts of an NBA career ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's yeah, I mean he's, he's unbelievable. Dominant. What like does that is that registering with people? No, because I think everything else has been bad. I mean, I think, you know, Kevin Love's had a weird start to the year. Jay Crowder's had a weird start to the year. Rose, I mean, just, again, it's just like, it's shocking how bad he is. Um, you know, you can look at how he was with the Knicks and say, oh, maybe it's the Knicks, but he's he's been really bad, and I don't really see how he helps them at all, and it, they're clearly better when he's not on the floor. Um, and LeBron's having to do so much, and that's not really what you want to do when you're trying to maximize him for later in the year, and for him to have to go into Washington and for him to drop that many points, 57 points, 
for them to win that game when they were still bad on defense. That's a problem, and I, I don't think you want to ask LeBron to save you every single night against, in the regular season against teams like the Hawks, teams like the Nets, teams like the Pacers. And if you look at the, the Cavs' schedule so far this year, it's an easier schedule. This is supposed to be the, the part of the year where they figure things out, they, they get all the new pieces involved, whether you like the pieces or not, that was the hope. And instead, you've gotten a team that has looked bad, shouldn't have, shouldn't is losing to bad teams, and is going to have to find its identity probably again when Isaiah when Isaiah comes back too. Right, let's go back to Dwayne Wade quickly for a second. You're po- you're more positive on Wade. Last year, Wade came out to me on my pack ratings as I think the second most negatively impactful offensive player uh, in the NBA. I mean, I really and. And this year, so far, he's right back there again. He's a negative 1.7, uh, which means that in the 10 scoring opportunities he uses on a given night, an average player would score 1.7 points more than him. That's a, that's a pretty big number. I know this is a new, this is a new statistic that a lot of people aren't used to, but if I could just try to get people to understand, like, what negative 1.7 means of players that actually played games last year. Zach Randolph was negative 1.8 last year, was the worst in the league. Uh, Nikolai Vukovic was a 1.6. Dwayne Wade was a negative 1.6. Those were the three worst in the league. If he, if he does that for a year, it's one of the most negatively impactful players in the league. So my numbers are saying that Wade's killing him. Why do you think Wade's usable? I think he's just usable in, in one context, and, and that's an issue in, in its own right, that he's, that he's hard to play against teams like the Wizards, teams like probably the Celtics, teams like the Warriors. I think the, 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 the hope for him, and what you saw a little bit against the Hawks, is that he still can score. And maybe it's not the most efficient way. Maybe it's not the most modern way, because he's not hitting threes, and he's never going to hit threes at this point. But the Cavs need that right now. They need someone who can actually just do something positive. I mean, without him against the Hawks, that's a bad game. LeBron was really bad in the first half. You know, not necessarily Rose bad or anything, but just not up to his standards. Wade kept them alive in the first half. And I think if you have him and you can pair him in the right lineups where you can support him with defense and, and some shooting, and I think I think particularly with Kevin Love, I, I think those two as a duo, the defensive issues are real. The Cavs can't avoid that with this roster. I think you can get him into situations where he can at least give you some points on low on a low number of shots, get to the line, and do some of the stuff he can still do, and you can maximize it. There are concerns about his defense. I think you don't want to let him take a lot of do a lot of posting up. I don't think you want to let him do a lot of isolation, which he did with the Bulls last year. He's done a little bit of that with the Cavs. But I think if you can get him into situations that leverage him in small doses, I think it, it's a good signing. And I think when you look at the other options too, I just I would rather have him trying to do what he does more so than a Jeff Green or a Derrick Rose. And Isaiah has, I mean, it, all this really in my mind just makes me think Isaiah Thomas is going to end up being the, the second most important player in this team. And he, and his hips are a huge concern in his own right. So I asked John the Krause, same question earlier on Locked on Celtics. The, the national media comes in, they take a 30,000 uh, point you know, view on these things. We as the Lockdown Podcast Network have the unique thing of having boots on the ground. What's the local thing? What's going on that you're aware of locally that you think's being missed on the big picture, either positively or negatively? Yeah, I think I, I think it's two things. I think one, I, I do think it, nationally, I think people just should just run up Derek Rose. I think people talk about him, it, not not so all, all the national runners, but kind of look at him as the cast can fix him. I think that ha- that experiment has to be over. Um, and two, I would also just note that the Cavs have had a weird 
start to the year that I, I don't think they've had a chance to gel yet. They, you know, they've had five starting lineups already. They have all of these new pieces. Um, Kevin Love left the game sick and couldn't come back, and they're just having a problem finding lineups. And you know, I think maybe we should have seen some of this coming, considering the off season and, and all the transition there and everything we, we saw with the pieces that don't necessarily fit. But I think. I wouldn't. I, I think with the the doom and gloom being a real thing, and I, I think it's a real concern about what this team could is going to be in in a couple months. I do think it's worth noting that they just haven't had a lot of time to to gel yet. And, and yes, this should have been the time of year to do that. But when you're changing your starting lineup all the time, when you're having to sub in and out pieces and reincorporate guys who do specific things, and they and they didn't come in with an identity in the first place, they kind of were banking on, in my mind at least, forming an identity right now. I think that that has to be taken into consideration, and and again, just Dwayne Wade in his own right, and not just thinking about Rose and and no Kyrie and all these things. Like Wade in his own right, when he came in, was going to be a big transition, and a lot of guys have been settled. And, and one of the last thing, Jared Smith is totally out of rhythm, and if they can get him shooting well, which he should do, I mean, I think some of the things will look a little bit better if they can just get spacing from him because their three point shooting is is a little bit off this year. And the only one I would add, the thing, as crazy as it is, LeBron actually can't maintain what he's doing. It would be the best offensive season of his entire NBA career if he maintains what he's doing right now. So that's the other... And they shouldn't ask him to. They shouldn't be asking him to at this point. That's a great point. It's not a good use of LeBron. And this is what Isaiah and Kevin Love should be for, and, and yet here we are. Chris Manning, Locked on Cavaliers. Great job. Thank you very much. Thank you. We're going to head to the Western Conference next, talk Denver Nuggets with Adam Modest. But if you're heading to any of these great games of the NBA or one of the college football, NFL, the way to do it, SeatGeek. That's right. Download the app SeatGeek to your phone right now, and you've got all you need for your next ticket-buying purchase. SeatGeek. Why? Number one, because they compile all of the various ticket people in one spot for you so you don't have to call around town and wonder if you're getting the best deal. Number two, because every ticket is given a ticket score so you can see where the best value inside each stadium, arena, or ballpark is and you can look and see where you'd be seated. And third, when you get it done, it is guaranteed right there on your phone. Absolutely fabulous experience with SeatGeek. That's where I'm getting my tickets, and that's what you should do as well. Locked promo code gets you $20 off your first purchase. So how do you do that? You download the SeatGeek app right now. Then you go to the settings tab, enter in the promo code LOCKED. When you find the event you want to go to, they'll send you $20 back on your first purchase. If you haven't downloaded the app, please do it now. SeatGeek's been a great sponsor of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Send them your support, and you'll get great value as well. It's SeatGeek, promo code LOCKED, $20 back on your first purchase. All right, two Eastern Conference teams, good and bad, and then we've got a, a, a middle Western Conference team that I can't figure out whether there should be concern or whether it's not. It's just the reality or what. So Adam, Adam Adas, who does great, great work for Locked on Nuggets, joins us. And Adam, let me just start kind of big. What's your viewpoint? Are you surprised? Is this what you say? Yeah, this is what I should have thought. Are you really disappointed? Uh, where Where are you with the Nuggets sitting here right now at 500? Yeah, I think uh, it's more or less what I expected, but that's not to say I'm not also concerned. I, I don't think it's time for panic or anything like that. They sit at five and five. Realistically, I think you'd expect them to be six and four, but I think it's more, it's less about the record and more about just what they look like as a team. And unfortunately, their half court offense is just really, really dysfunctional. And coming into the season, one of the things Coach Michael Malone stressed was, oh, we don't have to worry about the offense. Points are going to come easy. We're just focused on the defense. 
And I think anytime you have a unique player like Jokic, a unique player like Millsap, it's not a certain that, that, that two guys are going to mesh right out the gate. So I think uh, I look at this team right now, and I think they're probably almost certainly going to be okay long term. It's just a matter of how long will it take for those guys to kind of regain their offensive mojo in the half court. So you and I talked earlier this year because this is such an interesting mix, and I kind of made the comment that I didn't think Paul Millsap was going to willingly go from the largest usage rate of his NBA career to backseating it. What's been the melding of Millsap? He's taking the most shots per game of anyone on the roster. What's your how, – how is that going right now? So, so far, I think – you know, there was an adjustment period early on where everybody on the roster, I thought, looked very passive, and everybody was trying to, I think, be the the, the good guy and, and not be too selfish. Um, I don't think the solution is, is making Millsap the focal point of the offense, and over the last couple of games, I think he's kind of stepped up and been more aggressive in that regard. So I, I, I'm with you. I, do, I, I agree with you that I don't think he's going to go from that high-usage, high-scoring role he had last year to being an off-ball type guy. But I also don't know that he has to. I think within the style of offense that the Nuggets ran last year, there's a role for him. And it's going to be different than maybe it was for Kenneth Freed or Mason Plumley at the four spot. Um, but I still think there's a role that works out. And where this is headed ultimately will be um, probably playing through Jokic the way they did last year. But Millsap kind of being the beneficiary of a lot of that early offensive uh, advantage the Nuggets create by playing through Jokic and then finishing in Paul Millsap's hands. They just haven't figured that balance out yet, and there's a lot of guys looking like they're thinking really hard and uncertain of when they're supposed to do what. So I think they'll ultimately figure it out, but right now it's very, very clunky. All right, you've talked about it a little bit. You, let's di- let's really get into it. It's clunky. They've gone from, I think, second half of last season, they're about 111, 112 points per 100 possessions, number one in the league. They're 105 right now. What What is... What is not working? What is what is the clunkiness to it? Well, I think the first thing you look at is where their shots are coming from. And the craziest thing is they were such a good team at getting to the rim last year. And they're such a they're the, the 30th team, uh, 30th ranked team right now in shots from zero to three uh, feet. Only 18 percent of their shots basically coming from the rim. Whereas last year, that was a huge strength. And a lot of that came off of those dribble handoffs from Jokic, where a guy would either back cut or curl around and be able to receive the handoff and get all the way to the rim because there was that spacing. Now with two bigs, you know, Millsap likes to duck in a lot and and get deep post position. Uh, Jokic doesn't like to stand out in the corner at the three-point line. So there's a lot of just too many guys near and around the paint and not a lot of openings in the paint. So I think if you look at the Nuggets' offense, it's almost exclusively uh, they're really, really good at second-chance points. One of the top teams in the NBA at offensive rebounding and second-chance points. They're really good in the break, and they're really, really horrible in the half court. So a lot of that is when the game slows down, they just don't have the spacing right now. A scout talked to me about, you know what, you just can't run your entire offense through your bigs. You just you can't do it. Do you buy that or not? I don't at all. I would I would so strongly disagree with that take. And and I, look, the Nuggets did it for for four and a half months last year. And and one of the the narratives that I really dislike is the oh well now they've scouted the Nuggets and the words out and you can't run that offense anymore. I just I, I refuse to believe that the entire NBA got together and figured out how to beat the forty win Nuggets of last year. And also, I just don't think that there is a – I think there's so many counters and so many different things that the Nuggets were able to do. Teams guarded them so different. And if you ask the players, 
you know, Jokic in particular, are they guarding you different? He says, absolutely not. Everything's the exact same. It's just the spacing. And then I'll give you one other thing with the Nuggets roster that they're missing right now. Actually, two other things. One was they had one of the best small ball lineups in the NBA last year with Danilo Gallinari and Wilson Chandler at the three and four, because both of those guys are small perimeter players, but they're six ten and six eight respectively. So you had a very, very tall small ball lineup that was able to defend and able to kind of stretch the court and score. They don't have that anymore. In fact, they haven't played very much small ball at all with any lineup, any combination of players. So I think that's one thing that they're still figuring out you know, what, what their best small ball lineups are and, and how much they can go to them with as many power forwards as they have on the roster. And the other big thing that they're lacking this season, they don't have too many players that can beat somebody off of the dribble and kind of create penetration, not just off of pick and roll, but just kind of one-on-one attacking closeouts. Emmanuel Moutier and Will Barton are the two guys on the roster that I think are good at that. Will Barton's a little bit hot and cold, as most like six men of the year type guys are. And Emmanuel Moutier is... is you know, mostly cold in terms of finishing and decision-making once he beats his guy. So I think they're missing a little bit of that playmaker that can attack closeouts and one-on-one situations. Schedule at this point's meant that you have wins against the Kings, the Hawks, the Nets, and then the Raptors kind of rolled over for you, and, the, and you got a nice win. The Nuggets got a nice win against the Heat. Is there, as you look at that schedule coming up, which is interesting, after Brooklyn on the 7th, uh, Tuesday, then you play a collection of pretty good basketball teams into December. Do you feel this yeah. is this is the litmus test right here of, of whether this thing's going to work or not? I think for most of the NBA, the second 10-game block, if you kind of break into 10-game blocks, that second 10 games is where you really figure people out because there's so much going on with, with new adjustments in the first 10. So I do think this is going to be a huge litmus test for the Nuggets. And, uh, and again, the defense is very much improved. There's a lot of guys that are doing some things that are very much improved. The difficulty is that half-court offense. And I think when we talk about a litmus test for the Nuggets, it's all about are they able to score outside of offensive rebounds and transition. And I think especially nice, you mentioned the schedule coming up. A lot of these are at home. they got a lot of home games coming up. And that means a lot of practice time and a lot of time in, you know, shoot around and, and in your own gym. So I think – the number one thing you're looking at at Denver isn't isn't their offense overall. It's their half-court offense and, and, and if they can get rolling because the defense has improved. If the offense can get back to even close to what they had last year, I think they're a for, for sure playoff team. You may have already done it since you've done this so very well, Adam, but I have asked both John and Chris, you know, the national picture comes in from 30,000 feet. The uniqueness to the Lockdown Podcast Network is we have the local feet on the ground understanding these teams. What is the item, and maybe you've already touched on it, that locally you think you understand more than the national perspective kind of ch- ch- chiming in on things? I think a lot of it just has to do with how effective the team was last season and how so many of the pieces are still in place for that to happen. I think adding Millsap is just such a, like I said, he's such a unique player and it's unclear. Is he the best player on the team? Is it Jokic? You know, who should the team be playing through? But I think another thing you look at is this is a very young roster. Most of the guys that are playing minutes are very, very young and they're a pretty tight knit group. Um, There were some weird moments. I think early in the season, Jokic took a game with just three shots where it almost looked like he was protesting. But besides that, I think the the camaraderie and spirit on the team has been higher than it was last season and, and, and really has been, I think, pretty positive and encouraging in terms of 
the team is going through some ups and downs right now, but they appear to be pretty unified. Adam Modest does great work at Locked on Nuggets. Just incredible stuff. Make sure you uh, grab it if you're just a basketball fan, even if you're not a huge Nuggets fan. I've said this before. He's the show I listen to and just learn a lot from. The local experts on the biggest stories. Adam, will be really interesting to watch this team over the next 10, 15 games. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me, Dan. Well, as you can see, we've got super talent across the Locked On Podcast Network. John Corrales, Locked On Celtics, Chris Manning, Locked On Cavaliers, and Adam Modis, Locked On Nuggets. These guys are all killing it. Make sure you listen to their shows. Thank you very much for tuning in. Blue Apron will give you $30 off your first order with free shipping at blueapron.com slash LockNBA, no E, L-O-C-K, NBA, and SeatGeek with the promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D, gets you $20 back after your first purchase as well. Those are our sponsors. Thank them for being a part of it. Thank our host, John Corrales, Chris Manning, Adam Adamatis. This has been the Locked On NBA, biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.